Father, we come to you this morning to continue to ask for your grace and your guidance. Father, as we reflect upon the resurrection this morning, I pray that it would not uh, be something that is just merely agreed to in our minds. But Father, that your spirit works in our heart in such a way that we are forced to think deeply about what type of life it is that points to the fact that we say and believe that Christ has risen. So Lord, I pray that as we think about these things this morning, that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your law, that you would incline our hearts to these things. Father, we pray that if there is anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, that has never tasted of your goodness through faith in Christ, I pray that as we have heard so crystal clear in the form of hymns and music this morning, the truth of the gospel, that we have seen the the gospel symbolically displayed in baptism, and now we will hear the gospel as it is taught according to your word. Father, all these things are intended to awaken dead hearts. And they are meant to renew hearts that you have already awakened. So, Father, we commit this time to you. And we pray that your word would not return void. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. This morning we will be in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians this morning. Uh, talking about what Paul has to say uh, regarding the resurrection. So if you don't have your Bible this morning, if you look in front of you, uh, there should be a red-looking Bible. And if you turn to page 961, 961 in that red Bible, uh, you will be on the correct page we'll be, we'll be reading from this morning. But if you have your own Bible, uh, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, looking specifically at verses 12 uh, through verse 34, verses 12 to the verse 34, talking this morning about being under the influence of the resurrection. Uh, one of the things that uh, I do as a pastor is oftentimes going to hospitals uh, to be with those who are in surgery. And a lot of those surgeries are day, what they call day surgeries, where you go in in the morning and uh, by that afternoon you're on your way home. Well, uh, when they let you go home, you have to wait a certain time until the, uh, the medicines have worn off. Because when you go into surgery, they give you something called anesthesia, and, and it causes you to go to sleep, whether uh, it may be just one part of your body, but most of the times it's putting the whole body asleep. And one of the things that's very interesting is being able to go into one of these waiting rooms uh, right after someone has woken up, woken up from surgery, and as the effects of anesthesia has not fully uh, wore off yet, you get into some very interesting conversations with people. Uh, and mostly, I do most of the listening because you learn a lot of wonderful things about people that otherwise they would not have uh, been willing to tell you, uh, because they're under the influence of this medicine, and it and it makes them act in a, in a certain way uh, that normally they they would not act. And I've actually had one gentleman, he wasn't uh, part of this church, but was talking to him after one of these surgeries, and he, and he, he pipes up and says, so when are they going to take me to surgery? Uh, and we all started laughing, like, well, you've already been to surgery, and you're, you're already out. And he had no idea that he had even been to surgery yet. So all that to say is that 
uh, at times we take medicine and, and sometimes there's other things that, that uh, bring our minds and our bodies to the point to where we do not act as we normally would or, or do not act as if we would under normal circumstances. And I think that is the, the essence of what Paul is saying in this passage this morning is that the reality of the resurrection should cause us to act in a certain way. That it should influence our lives more than anything else. And that as we look at the lives of people in this congregation, and as we look at our lives, uh, that there should be a clear statement of saying that this person is under the influence of something. And that something is the resurrection. The fact that, that we gather here this morning to celebrate the truth that Christ is not dead, and that He is alive. And that should impact the way in which we live. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we will begin reading in verse 12. And then we will uh, stop in verse 23 and then skip to verse 30. So let's look at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 961 uh, in your Red Pew Bibles. And Paul writes, he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. And then skipping down to verse 30. Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. What is Paul saying in these verses? What I want to do is give us a brief summary of what he's arguing here. And then focus in on two specific verses that give us one specific theological point that I want us to reflect upon this morning. Paul is here arguing for the fact of the resurrection. Obviously there were some uh, in the Corinth church or those in the community who either believed that there was no resurrection or either the resurrection had already taken place. And Paul is simply using common sense here and saying, just hold on a second. Let me, let me help you flesh out the implications of the fact if there is no resurrection in Christ. He's simply saying that if there's no resurrection, then there's no resurrection for us. If God did not raise Christ from the dead, then what hope do we have to be raised from the dead? 
He says, in fact, if Christ is not raised from the dead, my preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So that what I'm doing here this morning and what you're doing here in this, this morning is in vain. It doesn't make any sense if Jesus has not actually been raised from the dead. So he's arguing for the resurrection of the dead. And then there's two specific verses that I want us to look at in showing that he, he is suggesting that if you agree to this fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. So if you are sitting here this morning and I asked you, do you believe that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead? So imagine if I'm asking you that right now. I don't have time to ask each specific one of you. But I'm generally asking, do you believe that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead? And if your answer is no, then I would love to talk to you more in detail after the service to to show you how we can believe and know that Jesus has been raised from the dead. But the fact that you're here this morning gives me some suggestion that you're at least open to the idea that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And for most of you, I think that you would say, yes, I do believe Jesus has been raised from the dead. Well, if you are answering yes when I ask you that question this morning, then there are implications to answering yes to that. You can't just say, yeah, Corey, I believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and go about your merry life as you choose. Paul is saying that if you say that you believe that Jesus Christ is not in that tomb, that He was raised on the third day, and that when the women there went there and saw that, that He had been raised, and they went and told the apostles, and the apostles saw that He had been raised, and, and just earlier in this chapter, in verse 6, Paul says that Jesus appeared to 500 people. If you believe those things, then He's saying there are implications that should follow in your life. And where am I getting that from? I want us to look specifically at verse 19 and then also again at verse 31 and 32. In verse 19, Paul says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And then in verse 32 he says, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So the theological point from these two verses is this. That Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, has implications for the way we live our lives. The resurrection of Jesus has implications for the way that we live our life. Because Paul is saying here in verse 19, he's saying, look, let's just be honest. Let's be honest with one another. If Jesus was not truly raised from the dead. We are to be pitied more than anybody else. Now why would he say that? He says that because he's assuming that there is a life to be lived that is different if you believe in the resurrection. And so he's saying if if Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead, then all these things that we are doing that are different from a non-believing world are meaningless. In fact, they're a waste of time. And in fact, people should pity us and say, those, you know, poor Christians, oh, they know that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Why are they doing that? Why are they wasting their time doing those things? Why are they sacrificing so much for the church and for the gospel? Why are they committed to all these things that in the end are are meaningless? 
Because he's saying that as a Christian who believes in the resurrection of the dead, we don't hope in this life only. Think about if you went on vacation somewhere. Summer is fast approaching, and many of you probably have uh, vacations planned. Some of you have houses or or trailers or camps or whatever in the mountains or at the beach or, or at the lake or somewhere. How do you treat those times away from your home as compared to the times that you're at your home? When you go on vacation... Do you go, and when you go to camps and, and, and other places, do you pack everything that you own? I hope not. Some, some husbands might be saying, well, my wife does, I don't. <laughs> but you don't take everything you own. And when you're there, you don't live as if that was your home. Because you know that in a week, or a weekend, or ten days, or a month, however, however long it may be, That you're going back home. So you live in a different way. When I lived in West Africa for two years, I lived in a different way than I would here because I knew that after two years I was coming back to the United States. So I did things differently. And Paul is saying to the Christians that you need to be reminded that we are not at home here. That we are sojourners. We are strangers in a strange land. We are simply visiting here because our ultimate hope is not in this life. He's saying if Christ has been raised, then guess what? We have the promise that those who belong to Christ, when He returns, we will be raised with Him. And we will dwell for eternity. So the fact that Jesus died on the cross and that He was raised from the dead proves that He is the Son of God. And it also proves that He has conquered death. And it proves that our sins have been forgiven. For all who claim Him as Lord, for all who repent and and profess Him as their Savior and Lord, and trust in Him alone for forgiveness of sin. This is what Paul says in verse 23. He says that in each his own order, Christ the first fruit. So He's the first resurrection. And then at His coming, all those who belong to Jesus. So if you belong to Jesus this morning, if you claim Him as your Lord, if you repented of your sins and you said, Jesus is mine and and there is no other, then we have the hope of, of saying that this is not the only life that there is to live. That when Jesus returns, we will have eternal life. But unfortunately, my fear is that many of us, although we intellectually claim the resurrection that our lives point to the fact that this is the only life. This is the only life. And this is what Paul is getting at in verse 32 when he says, let me just be honest with you. He said, if there is no resurrection, why have I suffered the way that I've suffered? And listen to the sufferings that he gives in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you want to turn over, you can. If not, just listen. I'm going to read verses 23 through 28. And listen to how Paul describes some of the things that he's endured. That that are a demonstration of when he says, Why am I battling wild beasts at Ephesus if there's no resurrection of the dead? Listen to what he says in verses 23 through uh, 28 of of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
He says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. In verse 24, he says that five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. So he says five times I've been beaten 39 times. So multiply five times 39, and that's how many times Paul was received lashes. He says three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. This is the way Paul described his life. And he's saying that, do you think I would do all of that if there was no resurrection of the dead? He said, you're crazy. He said, there's no resurrection from the dead. He says in verse 32, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So he's saying, if there's no resurrection from the dead, if if Christ was not raised from the dead, then guess what life we should live? Do whatever you want to. Whatever you want to. There's no rules. The rule is yourself. You want to do it? Do it. What does it matter? I mean, if this is the only life that there is to live... Guess who I'm looking out for? Me. Sorry. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. When I want to do it. How I want to do it. Because if this is all that there is, then it's only natural, according to Paul, to do whatever you want to. Do whatever you want to with your money. Do whatever you want to with your time. Do whatever you want to with your life. Because if we are not raised from the dead, eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. And we go into non-existence. But if you believe that Christ was raised from the dead, the implication of that is the opposite. That the fact that you are not hoping in this life alone should have implications. Because you realize that you are only here for a period of time. Only a season. And so the way in which you interact as a father and a husband, as a worker, as a wife, a mother, a daughter, a son the way you use your money, the way you use your time, the way you do everything is changed because you believe that you are only here for a season and that your eternal home is one with Christ. So if the point that Paul is trying to make here is that The fact of the resurrection of Jesus should have implications on the way we live our life. The question that we have to ask is, are the implications of the resurrection visible in your life? Are the implications of the resurrection visible in your life? Or you could phrase it another way. If by some way we came to know this morning, without a doubt, that all this was a hoax... 
And it wasn't true. What would you do differently in your life if you found out that this was a lie? I can think of a lot of things I would do differently. One, I would not be standing before you this morning. I would be doing something less stressful that pays a lot more money. Because this is the only life to live, and I'm going to live it for myself. I wouldn't have three children, and I probably wouldn't be married. Because if I would have been married, she would have divorced me by now. (laughs) So I can think of lots of things that I would do differently if I came to discover that this book was in fact a lie. But what about you? What is distinct in your life as a result of believing in the resurrection? Because Paul is saying, like, if, 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 if this is not true, then we're, people should feel sorry for us for being here this morning. Why would you get up at whatever time you got up this morning to be here at 7 o'clock if these things aren't true? So my hope and prayer this morning is that as we think about the resurrection, that it's more than just thinking about the Easter Bunny, or more than just thinking about chocolate, or more than just thinking about, oh, we, we do church early this morning, so we have the rest of the day off, and uh, how great that would be every Sunday. More than just saying, oh, I went to church on Easter, because that's what I'm supposed to do. But the fact that you are thinking and contemplating. If Jesus was raised from the dead, then what Paul and the other biblical writers say about our resurrection is true. And if that is true, then I'm only going to be here for 70 years, 80 years, maybe 90 if you're blessed by the Lord. A handful of people make it to a hundred. But in the grand scheme of the history of the world, that's really not a long time, even if you live to be a hundred. And so you're intentionally asking yourself the question, how should I then live? How should I live as a mother or a father, as a son or daughter? Because I believe that I am simply an alien in a strange land for a brief period of time. And are those things visible in your life? Do people see your life? Does a non-believer see your life and, and they're forced to think as I think when I have these conversations with people when they come out of the waiting room? They're not normal. They're under the influence of something. And so when they interact with you, Do people leave with the impression of something's different about that person? They're under the influence of something. They might not know what it is, but they recognize a distinct way of thinking and a distinct way of living that can only be explained by one thing. And it can only be explained by what the angel said to the women. Why do you seek the living among the dead? It can only be explained by the fact that Christ cannot be found among the dead. It can only be explained by the fact that He conquered death 
with His resurrection. And so are the implications of the resurrection visible in your life? And if the answer is no, the first problem may be that you've never repented and claimed Jesus as your Lord. So the first thing that you need to do this morning is to get right with Christ. But if you are a believer in Christ this morning, and you look at your life and you think, in honesty, my life is just like the life of everybody else. There's no distinctiveness to it as a result of me believing in the resurrection. And if that's the case, my exhortation to you as your pastor is to fall upon your knees and ask the Spirit to guide you with wisdom in your role as a mom or dad, as a member of this church, as a son or daughter, whether you're old or whether you're young. And that God would lead you into doing things that can only be explained by the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.